the best advice I could give myself as a dad, children uh, don't always do what you say, uh, but they do what you do. They emulate well. Uh, they are constantly recording and observing. And I didn't understand, even at a very young age, how they are recording everything around them. And one of the biggest things that they're recording is the interactions between myself and my wife. And so what I can do to emulate behavior for them, what will be the foundation of their relationships for the rest of their life, is how I treat my wife, how we talk together and communicate together and work together, because they are always watching that. And that will be the foundation of their relationships going forward. And so the most important thing that I can do as a father is, first and foremost, love and work with my wife, their mother. And because they will be always recording that. They will always be uh, watching that. And that will give them guidance throughout, even though they don't know it. That will give them guidance throughout the rest of their life. And that, that would be the other one. That, the other one would be is uh, the time will go fast, faster than I can even imagine. And pretty soon they're grown. And so enjoy the time and find ways to enjoy the time with your children. Because I had heard my parents say it for many, many years as it goes so fast and pretty soon you're grown. And I thought when you have a little baby and all the life is hectic and they're crying. You, you think this is never going to go, you know, fast. But then you blink your eyes and they're grown. And uh, if you've missed those experiences to make memories, you can't get them back. And so look for those opportunities to make memories and have wonderful experiences, even if they're short conversations or grand experiences or trips or adventures. Uh, but look for those opportunities to make memories. Welcome to the Dedicated.com podcast. I'm stoked to have you on. Thank you. I'm Philip Hartmann and I became a dad of twins and triplets in a mere 13 months. Yep, you heard that right. 13 months, twins and triplets and still alive and kicking. And I love it. My sessions are always a heart-to-heart -heart conversation between two dads, myself and my guests, who are sometimes very well known, sometimes totally not. What they all have in common is that they stepped up from being a father to being a dad and they all share their own experience and learnings. Our goal with the show is to learn all there is about being a dad and of course we want to inspire other dads and mums in an effort to help facilitate family success. I believe ultimately this will contribute to making the world a better place. If you like this and want to become part of this conversation, I encourage you to share this content, subscribe to the show and let us know your thoughts. You can do so by sending us an email via dedicated.com or just leave a review. Thank you. You can also book me for a keynote on building successful families. Just go to dedicated.com. And with this, please enjoy the show. Thank you so much. Brett Rustand is a 46-year-old highly decorated military veteran and father of five who lives in Tucson, Arizona. Him and his wife both come from large families and have put a lot of effort into melding their individual experiences into their own unified family culture. Brad's military career completely changed direction upon the birth of his first son in Korea. <laughs> Crazy. He decided that from that moment on he would dedicate every day of his life 
raising his children and currently works in an industry helping veterans to get jobs. In this session, we discuss working as a team within your family and our role as parents in deliberately creating situations that will form lasting memories for our kids. He draws insightful parallels between functioning as a military unit and as a family, and he emphasizes the importance of showing vulnerability and giving children space to reconcile their own emotions. The most powerful takeaways for me as a dad were When children see themselves as part of a team with their own responsibilities, it helps them formulate their own identity and feel comfortable within their individual roles as part of a coordinated family unit. Super interesting. Constant communication routines are essential in maintaining strong and functional relationships, both between spouses and as a family. That's very true. And thirdly and lastly, It is easy to forget to take a step back sometimes and enjoy how wonderful an experience it actually is to help a little person develop and become a fully-fledged individual. Realizing this and taking the time to do so is essential for our own perspective and our parenting experience. I think this can be easily forgotten when the young one has a tantrum again. <laughs> If you find parenting podcasts helpful, please share two podcasts you love with a parent who needs to hear them right now. And if you love this one, I'll be super happy. Please consider a rating or a short review and do subscribe. Right. Here's, here's Brad. Please enjoy the session. Thank you so much for listening in. Ciao. So, Brad, I'm really, really happy to sit with you here. Uh, as you know, I've been speaking to your dad a lot, so I'm very, very interested to see Uh, or to hear your perspective. Um, I know that you have quite a, um, yeah, I would say, interesting uh, Vita. Maybe you can give us a quick rundown. I know you were, uh, you are, um, you were a soldier, right? Yes, I was. You, yeah, you were 1%, uh, that's what Warren told me, you were 1% of all army officers for leadership, which is quite impressive. Um Black Hawk, if I get that right, and yep. also you were part of the invading force of Iraq, and of course you're a dad, so that's a very interesting mixture, I think. And maybe you can give us a quick intro about yourself, and then we dive straight into uh, Brett the dad. All right. Well, that's kind of a little bit about there. There, I was born and raised here in uh, in Tucson, Arizona, uh, in a big family. Obviously, my dad, uh, my uh, five brothers, and one sister. And so uh, I grew up loving big families and wanting a big family of my own, however that happened, and uh, went, went on to college, uh, went on a mission uh, for my church to Venezuela and lived there for two years, uh, came back and then joined the Army, flew Black Hawk helicopters for the Army with the 101st Airborne, and did that for about 10 years. Um, and then uh, with my last duty station was in uh, South Korea. And I lived over there with my wife. And while we were over there, uh, my son Mason was born. And, uh, and when Mason was born, everything changed for me. Uh, and it was, uh, I, I, life changed. And although I loved being a soldier, it was, uh, for me, it was time to, to get out of the military and move back here to Arizona and raise our family. And so we did that. And uh, we now have five children. Mason is 13. Uh, Maya is 11, Porter is uh, eight, 
Piper is uh, five and Nora is soon to be six and Nora uh, is three. And so we have three girls and two boys and we really, really enjoy it. And uh, that's, that's like kind me. of, I, I work in, uh, in, in an industry helping uh, veterans get jobs mm. and in the IT and helping populate the IT workforce. Uh, but what I'm re- very passionate about is, uh, is my family and finding ways to, to make memories and to enjoy ourselves together and to help them grow is, is probably the greatest challenge that I have. And so working yeah. with my wife in that is, is the, what I take most joy out of as well. And just for context, how old are you now? I am 45 years old. Okay. You know that my daughter's name is Ultimaya. Is it really? So that's a good choice. Yeah, yeah. That's a yeah. very good choice. Very strong name. <laughs> And she's a strong girl. Same here. And tell me, is your first son uh, Korean? Do they have birthright in Korea or bloodright? That's uh, actually very funny. So uh, he is not Korean. Uh, we could have gone for dual citizenship, but there's a requirement mm-hmm. to serve in the Korean military. And ah. so we, we figured that that would be a, a, a surprising 18th birthday gift. <laughs> we told him he had to return to Korea and serve his time. So, uh, but he was born uh, not on a, a U.S. military base, but he was born in a Korean hospital. Uh, we, okay. she, my wife started in the Korean, or sorry, in the military hospital, and they came to us immediately and said, "Sorry, we're full, and so we have to move you to a Korean hospital." Wow! And so, in the middle of the night, we moved to the uh, Korean hospital and a women's clinic. And uh, there was no one else except for her and I that spoke English in there. And uh, so we, we made it work, and she was amazing and uh, very strong, and everything went great. So uh, we, we, we joke about that. We had to go apply for his U.S. citizenship a couple weeks after he was born. Yeah, yeah same with my children. They, I, they are South African, well, the adopted kids, and I'm still <laughs> missioning with the German government. Are you, for their passports, are, were you allowed into the theater in Korea, into the hospital, into the, into the birth room? It's actually very interesting. So culturally, they don't do that a lot, right? So the fathers, yeah. I can remember them because we're communicating in broken English, and I can remember the mother saying, or sorry, one of the nurses coming to me and saying, they just wheeled my wife into the, the labor and delivery room or the delivery room, and she pointed across the street, there was a bar there, and she said, Dada, that Dada, go. Yeah. And uh, to, to go That's across, where he could be yeah, exactly. To go across Crazy. the street, <laughs> and yeah. and I said nope. Uh, and nope. so I grabbed some of the doctor's gowns and I walked right in, and everyone was startled. But I said I'm going to be here, and yeah, yeah. Uh, so it was it was very interesting. So they allowed it. So they were like, okay, this crazy American, he's up, he wants to watch the birth. Okay, let's ex- let him because we don't know what to do. That's exactly right. They they had no idea what to do with me, but they let me stay in there, and I stayed with my wife and. Uh, watched the birth of Mason, and then uh, it was very interesting because they began to wheel him off because he had to go to the, the NICU. He had swallowed a little amniotic fluid, but he was okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, so as they began wheeling him off, I'm torn, and my wife said, go with him. So I went with Mason, and we're kind of down there, and I'm following him. I didn't want to let go of the, the little cart or the bassinet he was in, and uh, but we figured it out. And I was able to go back and find my wife in another floor, and It all worked out great, but uh, but it's a crazy story. And that's and that's so interesting. And how was the how was the experience for you in that theater? So you obviously couldn't speak to anyone except your wife, and she was obviously occupied with the situation as well. 
And were you able to hold the space? And, and how was it for you? I was. Uh, in a lot of the communication piece prior to her giving birth to Mason, I was able to communicate. I had about 20 Korean soldiers that worked for me. So they were all gathered around their phone back at our where my base. And I would call them on the cell phone and ask them to translate and then hand the phone to the doctor or nurse. <laughs> and they would translate for me. So we're going back and forth no and back and forth. But uh, that translation all went up until the moment she was going to give birth. And it was. I was able to, to be there with her and to be there uh, for the birth. And that was really something special. That was the, for our first child. And so we didn't know what we didn't know. Uh, yeah. We, you know, you're just kind of making it up as you go along and everything's a new experience and it really changed everything for me. I can honestly say that that experience in and of itself changed the course of my life because it just, up until that point, I knew we were going to have children. I knew uh, it was a important and special. It was a priority in my life, but uh, that very moment changed a lot of my perspective and uh, changed the course of my life because from that point forward, I knew that I was um, I was going to be there for, for for Mason and for our other children, and that it was time to make some changes in my career so I could be there. And um, there are, there are lots of good families in the military that that live that life, and it is very tough. And they are amazingly strong. For my decision, for me at that moment, I decided that it was time to exit the military, and because I was going to be around, you know, every day of this kid's life. Yeah. Yeah, that's difficult if you, if you, if, so you were never deployed with having children at the same time. I was not, no. Right. No. Yeah. I was yeah. never deployed. Yeah, I spoke so to, it, mm -hmm. sorry, you go. So the deployments came, lots of deployments before. Before. Uh, but our last assignment was in Korea and she, my wife was there with me and mm -hmm. uh, we lived on base there and it was a great experience. But yeah, once we had, Mason, we decided that it was time for me to, you know, no more deployments. Yeah. Yeah. I spoke to Rourke Denver. He's a Navy SEAL. Um, yep. And he's also, you know him? Yeah. I met him uh, two weeks ago. Really oh, okay. Good guy. <laughs> That's so funny. He's a cool guy. And he, he also, he was never, he said, luckily, we didn't exit the military, obviously. Uh, you know, as you know, for, for the listeners, he's a Navy SEAL, but also Navy SEAL trainer. He trained mm -hmm. hundreds, if not thousands, of Navy SEALs. Only <laughs> hardly ever anyone makes it. I think 10% or something is the ratio. Um, so he puts, puts them all through Navy SEAL training. And luckily, he said by the time he had children, he wasn't, um, I don't know the language, but he wasn't deployed anymore. He was still like, but he, now he was a trainer and he was, I guess, on base or whatever the SEALs do. And he wasn't like an active SEAL, SEAL duty. How do, how do you say that? Is that... Yeah, he was, he was in a training missions. position or non non deploying. Yeah, yeah, yeah non deploying training position. But he also shared like it 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 can be quite and of, I mean of, we all know this intuitively, but it can be quite hectic if you have to go into a war situation, but you have children at home. And he put it. I found it quite interesting. And a wife. And he he put it. I asked him like, do you are you able to switch on and off because That's so different, you know, you can't have that kind of high-intensity energy in the house, in the family, I guess. And then you go into war and you have to be Navy SEAL. And the way he put it, he said he can throttle his intensity. So he's obviously an intense man, mm -hmm. but he can throttle uh, up and down when he goes into that, into that zone. 
Yep. You, think, you do. You you have to learn how to adjust, and then it's whether you have children or whether you uh, don't have children. Is there's a a different uh, mindset that you have to be able to step into, and uh, and kind of put everything aside, compartmentalize things at home, and uh, and move forward. So it's uh, I, I have the utmost respect for the soldiers and of you know that have to do that on a daily basis, and that also have families at home. They're amazingly strong. And uh, so, but it's, you know, soldiers, sailors, all of them in the military are, are very strong to do that, especially with families. Can you share a different topic or similar topic or in along the lines? Can you share, um, are you able to apply leadership principles that you've learned in the military um, to family? And if so, what can you share in that regard? Well, that's a that's a good question. Absolutely, I think we there's lots of leadership principles. Uh, one of the things that I loved about uh, the military, and what lots of uh, people go in for different reasons. Maybe it's their lifelong passion. Uh, maybe it's they always wanted to fly or do something like that. I, I really loved leading soldiers, uh, training soldiers, and, and working with them. The direct interactions, and so a lot of the uh, the building of relationships and maintaining of, of relationships is key in leadership positions uh, because you have to uh, I, you have to be able to um, command or, or with their respect but also in order to do that you have to be vulnerable uh, you have to uh, have a good relationship or build a relationship with them upon on trust and so I think that that's There's a lot of pieces that go into a family with that. Uh, flying helicopters, it was, uh, we always trained on something called crew coordination, right? So we, we, we do these things on a, so it's not arguing of who's doing what is there's handovers and everybody knows what their role is. And we use that a lot, uh, both jokingly and, and seriously in our family of that crew coordination of everybody has their roles. Everybody has their responsibilities. And if we all do our jobs, then we can work well together and, and how we can assist each other when we're, when we're fa failing in one of those jobs or duties or responsibilities within the family, because we have very similar coordination of, of effort in, inside of our family. And uh, so we work mm -hmm. with that. And we joke about that a lot, but that's, it, it's real. It's uh, family life is intense, especially when you add kids into that and you have all that's going on. Uh, it's intense. And so you have to all work together. And we have to understand that we all have different roles and parts to play. And, and so coordinating that effort is really important. So that's definitely something I brought from the military. And how do you imp implement that with a three-year-old or a five-year-old? I mean, you can't, when do you start implementing that? Uh, we love implementing it as soon as possible. Uh, you know, I mean, as, you're right, as they're in the toddler stage, it's very, can be difficult. But, but talking to them and communicating with, with them uh, as if they're older many times helps them prepare, helps them work through their emotions or their thoughts and just communicating with them as if they have and because they have a part to play and they, you know, and, and explaining their part and their role and, you know, sitting down, even my three-year-old, uh, Nora will sit down and say, hey, Nora, this is, you know, instead of. Uh, getting angry or something like that is sit down with them and, and explain to them, hey, this is what we need from you. And it's because we're all working here and this is, we really need you to, 
to, to this is your job, this is your role, and helping explain that. And I, I think it sounds kind of crazy when you say explaining that to a, a two or three-year-olds, but the sooner you start that, the, the more comfortable they become with those discussions of viewing the family as a team and viewing their role in that and viewing their ability to, to understand and at least, uh, you know, begin to understand their emotions and how that plays into the family, uh, I think is a, is a great help to us, is helping explain that we're a team here and we're all working together and here's what we need from you, is there, once they begin to understand their responsibilities early uh, and, and what we need from them and what we expect from them, I think it's much easier going forward is mm-hmm. because they, they see themselves as part of this team and playing a key role in this. And, uh, and I think that that's important for them to feel that part of that team as early as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's true. Have you applied or are you applying similar principles like your dad? I know you had these chores lists and um, chores versus things where you can earn money. And have you, are you doing the same kind of principles? Yeah, we do. It's, uh, it's interesting because we divide up and everybody based upon what they can and can't do has their, their chores and then, uh, which are, which are non-paid, you know, those are just, Hey, this is how the, our world runs. This is how the house runs. Here's what we need from you every morning and every day. These are the responsibilities. And then on top of those, once you've completed those and done those, uh, and then there's opportunities to earn money or do other things. Uh, to, you know, those are elective. Those are things they can choose to do. Uh, but those responsibilities, we really talk them through how everybody is interdependent on each other in the family, in that environment, that if I do my job and uh, everyone else does their job, then it works very well. If one person decides that they're not going to do that, then it frustrates the entire process. So kind of building that teamwork through their chores and through their uh, interdependence and their responsibility is, is really fun, you know, is, and watching them finally grasp that and understand that. And if, if they don't get it, what do you do? You just talk about it until they get it? What do you do? Uh, yeah, it's, it's something very interesting. My wife and I, obviously, uh, we don't think about, uh, we've never really considered any kind of spanking or corporal punishment or anything like that. Yeah. For us, it's, it's a lot of conversations. And it's a lot of helping them understand. Uh, obviously, as they get into a little bit older, uh, there's a lot of emotions around this. And so, you know, sometimes giving them some space to go, go to think about this. And then when you're ready, let's talk about this. So letting them process their emotions or their thoughts. And then we come back and we sit down and we talk about it and say, uh, here's, uh, here's what we think and here's what we see your role as. And we really need you. You know, we need you as part of this team. We, you are a critical part of this team and helping them feel not only welcome, but also that they're a critical piece. They're a needed part of this team, uh, I think has really helped us explain that to them. And once they begin to catch on to that, it, it, these conversations become uh, much easier, right? Because they, they see themselves as part of the team. They identify as uh, playing a role in that, playing a, a very important role in that. And so their own internal desire to, to do well or to help others kicks in as part of that team. And so you're able to uh, kind of talk to that in them and, uh, and speak to them about that. And it, it's made our conversations a lot uh, very good, you know, very productive. 
but obviously there's there's times with when they act out and so uh the main one is is uh separation why don't you go take some time by yourself and think about that and then as soon as you're ready we'll talk about what just happened you know mm-hmm. so that that's the nature of it but it's it's fun to communicate with them yeah that's so interesting we have that at the moment you know but we have it like compounded because we have as you know um three three-year-olds and two four-and-a-half-year-olds and often it's just tantrum and then one starts a tantrum and then the next one goes oh i want the same attention there goes the next tantrum <laughs> it's you know before you know it five are screaming and it's not really that you can reason with that and go like oh okay but now it's it's, it's teamwork now and it but i mean i i try and do the same like we try and introduce um small chores like small stuff like helping to pull the washing out of the dishwasher and move it into the dryer or whatever it is you know when you're standing next to them and hey help me quickly or i don't know they have they do they do take their plates and they put them in the kitchen or whatever you know there's three so we try and do that but i think that whole team aspect um, and that is also a military principle by the way not just military also in sports it works it it will work really well if they understand that once they understand that the others are dependent on them and vice versa. That's why it's very powerful because it creates an inter- interdependency team. Um, yeah. That's really a team. Yeah. Whether it's sports or military or any environment is I firmly believe that that, that team concept, that interdependence, that the roles that we play is critical. And so uh, you're right they're there when they're at that age, sometimes it, the, the wheels come off and there's, it's just, <laughs> It's a downward spiral. I've been there many times, many, many times. And uh, we found that a lot of times, and, and we don't say, uh, you know, we're not, we don't want them to punish them and say, you know, go to your room and do this. Or it's more of you just take time and let's, let's, let's isolate you and give you some time and space to calm down. You know, maybe it's putting them in their room or in their bed or, and just say, okay, we're going to, we're going to readdress this once you process these emotions. And they don't understand it when you're saying that at three, you know, but giving them some space and then coming back and readdressing it with them in a few minutes, it's very, usually very quickly. And it allows them to kind of oftentimes come down from that, you know, where they don't know what they're, what's going on. They don't internally, they don't understand what's happening. They're just mad. You know, and uh, so giving them a little bit of space and then coming back and readdressing it with them is, has been, it's really fun, actually. Yeah. Because Your dad gave me great advice once. He said, um, um, it's very easy to distract children. You don't always have to go for conflict. And that's so true. If you can true. remember it, like, I mean, I've got this trick with my boys. Literally, I give them a pocket knife and they stop everything. It's like, do you want the knife? Yes. Okay. And it's gone. <laughs> Absolutely, and, you know, it's like I don't know. I think it's great advice because you, there will be something how you can distract them, and it's not always necessary to kind of have that fight. You know, pick your battles, kind of thing. I totally yeah. agree. I think, and for oftentimes, when they don't understand what's going on internally in their emotions, there's yeah. no way for them to really have a fight about it in any or apply any reason to the situation. There's, you're going nowhere positive by the conflict. And so oftentimes distraction is a great tool because you just say, okay, let's, you know, let's distract it. Let's move on. Let's let the emotions subside. And then we can talk about this later and address this later. But for right now, let's, let's calm down and let's move on to something else. 
and then we can, you know, the distraction works very well. My wife is an expert at that. <laughs> hey, tell situations. me how how were the how were the other births? Were you also there? How did you feel during those, and how did it go? I was there for everyone, uh, and uh, I tell you what those those have been some of the most uh, memorable and again life changing experiences. Not just Mason's birth, but to be there for the birth of the children. And uh, I guess for me, it was I, I gained. Uh, not a newfound respect, but it, it just deepened my respect and my love for my wife is watching her go through that was something truly amazing and how strong she was. I mean, very, very strong. I, I can remember when we had talked about and we had our plan and everything with Mason when he was born in Korea. But by the time we got to the Korean hospital, they said, sorry, it's too late. No epidurals, no pain pills, no, no pain medication, no nothing. And so, and I thought, Boy, this is everything's going to come unwound because we had our plan and everything else. And my wife just said, "It's going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. I can do this." And uh, from then on, all all five of our children were born naturally with no pain medication or anything like that because wow. she just felt that this is she knew she was strong and could do this, and yeah. uh, she knew what to expect after that. And so I just it really deepened my appreciation for her. Uh, and watching them be born is truly an amazing thing. It's mm. uh, a strong, a strong woman to do that, and uh, and she is one. So, can you give advice or, or from experience here, um, how men or dads can partake in the birth, even if it's spiritually or holding the space emotionally um, and physically? Obviously, what can you share with us? Obviously, having You've been to five, right? So I've been through five. Uh, I studied. Uh, and I know that sounds strange. I studied as much as I could about not only what's going on physically, uh, but try to communicate with her prior to the birth because it gets chaotic during the birth, but uh, mm -hmm. about uh, physically and emotionally what's going on and exactly what I need to be doing so I understand exactly how I can support you in that moment, uh, mm -hmm. whether that's you know holding her up or – You know, massaging her lower back or doing something, whatever I need to be doing, I need to understand that's it, that there's nothing else in that moment that I need to be doing but supporting her. And mm -hmm. and everything else kind of fades away after that. And and that is my role in that moment is to, to be there for her and support her in any way that she needs. And uh, and so that, that deepened our relationship. It really helped, uh, but it helps me understand or at least see the, the birth somewhat through her eyes as well. And so I can be in that space and, and understand it. And there's a lot of emotions in that space. I, I will tell you that's, uh, even as I think about it now, it's there's, there's a lot of emotions uh, that are being communicated. And again, a fraction of what she's probably feeling, but as close as I can be to her, as supportive as I can be to her, allows me to understand partly what she's going through, but also that emotion and, and feel that emotion and be in that space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. For for me, it really helped me um, having a doula in the birth because mm -hmm. our birth was the the one birth that I was at. We it was just the triplets, the twins we adopted, right? So I wasn't there, and it was a crazy situation. Obviously, you know, there were like eighteen people in the theater or something, <laughs> but the, the the doula helped us um, or me um, 
yeah, understand more of what I can do and su- supported us emotionally in that sense. Um, she doesn't interfere with the medical staff. She's just there for emotional support. Um, and I can just recommend that to to everybody. I mean, she came before the birth. She came in and she um, just calmed the whole the whole situation. She gave my wife a massage and she spoke to me and this is what's going to happen. And she goes to the whole briefing and it, it was really good. And I, I knew more um, about birth, I guess, than other dads because my wife's also a doula so she's helped dozens of babies into this world and so she would share those experiences with me afterwards but it's still different for your own yeah children, i think I that guess, for your much own. of much of my understanding of our experience uh, came from our first one which was mm-hmm. there was there was no one around right yeah. so i i would absolutely recommend that because if you've been someone have someone who has been through similar before and understands a little bit of the context understands what's happening both physically and emotionally. They're able to help you connect and help you support in a lot of ways. Uh, Mine was driven really because on the first birth with Mason, uh, we kind of set a precedent and it was just Amy and I. Uh, There was no one else. And so we kind of figured out our teamwork and our interaction on that first birth and it carried through on the other five. But I agree with you. I think that uh, having a, a person who's been through that before who's able to kind of help you uh, emotionally connect uh, at that time, it would be very, very helpful. Uh, I can mm. see that definitely helping. What she also does is she explains the situation to you, something you didn't have in, in Korea. But yep. if, you know, if the doctor says, and because you're often in a, in a obviously rather vulnerable space because you don't know and you're scared and the doctor will say, okay, now we need to cut or we need to, and maybe you don't actually really need to yet. Mm-hmm. And the doula might just, no, they don't address the doctor again. They say, okay, this is what he's saying or she's saying. And these are the options. And remember, we discussed maybe these were your wishes and you can decide this or that. Whereas if, if no one's there to be that emotional buffer between the medical staff and yourself, what I'm explained is that, or what I've learned is that you, yeah, you're on your own on that decision, right? So yeah. they're also the kind of like a counselor in the, in the whole um, situation in explaining things and playing it back to you and translating stuff. And I guess probably slowing down the process. So what I um, understand, slowing down decision. And what I understand is that if there's doulas uh, present, there's a lot less C-sections, for instance, which is Mm -hmm. obviously important. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Is that having a buffer, because it is chaotic. It is moving... Uh, very fast at times, you know, and there's a lot of decisions to be made. And, and so that would be very helpful to have that. Mm-hmm. Hey, um, Brett, what, what do you want to share where I didn't go yet as a dad? I know you're super into this topic. So please just start sharing with us um, valuable experiences that you've made as a dad or also learning from other dads that are valuable for other people. Um, the biggest thing, uh, I guess, if there was one thing that I learned from my uh, many things that I learned from my father, but one that really stands out, and it was a quote from a comedian here in the United States, Steve Martin, and he says, uh, "A dad is a person who's has pictures where his money used to be." And uh, I thought it was kind of funny, but also when you think about it, is we have a, a critical role as parents uh, to create memories for children. 
and put them in situations and environments that they're creating memorable experiences. Because at the end of the day, uh, we have a very close family now. My brothers and sisters and my parents, we're all very, very close right now. And we attribute a lot of that to uh, the, the memories that tie us together now, because the memories are those building blocks of relationships. And those relationships and memories then carry you forward uh, and create really a, a unified or, or a, a great kind of, well, they build relationships of a, of a team that you can go forward, right? And we'll be there forever. And so I think we look back at our memories as children, my brothers and sisters, and how my parents uh, deliberately and specifically thought about how to create memorable experiences. Because I think, and it's even more critical today because we can get caught up in the day-to-day of life, right? Of all that we have to do, both in our work and our children's lives, and they're going from here to here and sports and music and school, and we're going through all these things. And at the end of the day, there's a lot of importance. Those things are very important, but we also have to weave into that process memorable experiences. And, and sometimes the memorable experience is that everything went wrong. You know, I mean, I know you plan some little trip or hike or something like that, and <laughs> it never goes according to plan, but it goes completely wrong. And you can look back that later in life and laugh about it and talk about it. But if you've specifically and intentionally built in those memorable experiences throughout their weeks and throughout their lives, I really believe that that's what unifies us, that, that brings us together and that builds those relationships that they will cherish and have for the rest of their lives. Mm. So that's something that my father had taught me and my mother taught me is how do we do those memorable experiences? How do we have these experiences? Uh, and the, another thing he's taught me is that there's, there's no such thing as, uh, you know, with the, the quality versus quantity time. And he says, we just have to, you have to try to spend as much as time as possible and, and try to make those memorable experiences. And there will be quality time out of that. But if we're just, you know, short spurts, if we're only interacting for a short while, thinking it's going to be quality time, that uh, that we won't make those the depth of memories and we won't make the depth of relationships. So mm-hmm. looking for those opportunities is a lot of fun. And this last, uh, we were just up at the cabin and uh, we got up early in the morning. So what are we doing tomorrow? And we're going to go rock climbing and we're going to go on a hike or something like that. And we just decided at last minute, my wife and I, we're going to wake the kids up at 5 a.m. We're going to throw them into the car. We're going to drive a, you know, an hour away just because there was something fun that they could do and something unique. And so we went up into this place called Sedona, and there's a slide rock where the rivers cut a uh, slide through the, through the sandstone and went and played there you know, and just had a great time. And then came back to our you know, daily lives and what we're doing, and, but it was the, creating those memories really helps. Um, and I think it helps immediately with uh, kids understanding their roles, like we were talking earlier about, and, and feeling part of something, uh, because they can feel part of a lot of things outside of, you know, school and teams and sports. But their first responsibility, their first place, is in their in their home and in our family. And so we need to cultivate that and make sure that they understand that. And I think building experiences like that is one of the best ways. Uh, that's a very very powerful um, advice and that's true I've heard it from another dad he said uh, he put it in a beautiful um, way he said it's it's almost like um, finding these pearls and creating a string of pearls which becomes a beautiful necklace 
Um, and so, but the necklace can also break. So I think together with making experiences, and by the way, um, spending a lot of time and then finding these pearls also makes sense because you can't force the pearl. You need to be there and then it just, sometimes it just happens and then you need to make sure that you have the time to, and to embrace it. Um, but pearl, strings of pearls can also break. And I think so on top of the experiences that you create, there needs to be ground rules um, so relationships don't get ruptured by uh, randomness, which is part of, of teamwork. How do, I know you will have that too. So how do you, what are your ground rules for the family? How do you do that? Uh, well, we always talk about ground rules is always uh, giving someone, we say the benefit of the doubt, right? Mm -hmm. Is uh, questioning someone's motives or implying that they're doing something to intentionally maliciously or to, to offend you or to hurt you is something we want to avoid because oftentimes in our lives that that comes into we're looking uh, you know suspiciously at some why someone did something or but if we help in our family to build that everyone is giving each other the benefit of the doubt everyone is assuming or going off of the assumption that we're all working together and we may make mistakes and we may do things wrong and we may be offended or we may but none of that's intentional right and so that's a part of the receiver as well as the the, the giver of that uh, some other ground rules are is that we always talk to our children about you cannot control the actions of others right you it, it throughout our lives and even in our families we cannot control the actions of others we have total control over how we respond to those actions and being offended is uh, offended is a choice it's a choice we make to allow the actions of others to affect us right and even if that's uh arguing or over toys or even with small children is helping them understand that their attitude and their approach is always in their control and it's no one else can uh do things for them. We always talk about this uh, with my children, especially uh, I can think of two of them. I know they'll re remain nameless, but they have uh, they have a little bit of a temper on them, and uh, they can they can get pretty angry pretty fast when things you know pretty emotional. And we always are talking to them about um, laying the groundwork that no one can make you angry. That is a choice that you are making. No one external to you has control over your emotional or your attitude. And so no one can force you to lose your temper. You are giving up control. And that's and, and always drilling that into them so they know that it makes these situations much easier to react to if everyone is kind of thinking like that, right? Is that I can't, he made me do this. I, I think of our little kids, well, why did you... Why did you, you know, hit this person or why did you take this? And whether he made me do this, he did this yeah, yeah. or caused this is helping break that uh, and, and insert themselves in a position of authority over their own decisions and their own emotions is critical, is absolutely yeah. critical. I mean, essentially, it's saying you uh, um, don't be the victim, right? You Absolutely. But it, it's very difficult. I mean, even for adults, I mean, for m myself. I have a temper. I get like angry sometimes, and yeah, I know this conceptually. Of course, this is true, but it's not easy to um, shut off the emotion and go and and become, yeah, just don't become emotional and be rational and say, yeah, okay, but whatever, I can choose how to react to this. That's, I think it's very advanced in a sense 
but it's worthwhile working towards, but difficult. The first part is is easier, I think, having you know assuming benefit of the doubt that can almost be culturally um, fostered, so to speak, as a family culture. It's almost like family culture. We have family culture, and we do benefit of the doubt. I think that's very powerful advice. And I also think that it's important that children, uh, that parents are vulnerable and open with their children. Um, mm -hmm. Now, at the end of the at the end of the day, there are times in which I have to say. Uh, I, I am the decision maker on this or my wife and I are the decision makers on this and this is what we're doing. But at other times, it's important that I express that I don't have all the answers uh, and maybe things didn't go as planned and talk with our children that I do make mistakes, that I do, you know, that there's, and, and expressing to them those emotions. I think allowing yourself to be vulnerable allows your children to learn through you, allows them to see you as a, a person who makes mistakes, who maybe uh, says something too quickly or maybe loses your temper. You know, it's not, it's not, it's, I think allowing them to see that and that you're working through that again, cultivates a team environment because we're all working together for the same goal and we're, we're flawed individuals as well. Uh, and I think, I do think that there's a, a vulnerability that's necessary because if you build up a wall and don't let them see any of your mistakes or flaws or, and, or don't talk through it with them, you know, there are times which I've had to go sit down on their bed and say, Hey, Buddy, that was my mistake. You know, I misunderstood the situation. I maybe was a little too quick to judgment, and I apologize for that. You know, and, and talking through them, and they will open up if they can hear you apologize or talk about, say you made a mistake. Children immediately inherently open up because they identify with that, and they understand now that it's not just two perfect parents and four or five flawed children, flawed children that make mistakes. It's all of us improving together. And uh, so I think that brings us together as well. Yeah, and that vulnerability um, helps the child emulate the right behavior, also because children emulate, right? They don't listen and execute; they copy you. Yep. So that's that's very important. I spoke about that actually with uh, Jason Reed. I don't know if you know of him. His he he runs uh, ChooseLife.org, and his mission is to end uh, teen suicide by the year twenty. 30 or 40, I don't know. His son killed himself. He was 14. And um, he said this. He said, I never showed vulnerability. I always, like, even when I was going almost bankrupt, like 15 times, I almost went bankrupt. And I was like, you know, and I never ever said anything because I was like, I'm not going to bring this into the home. And and so his son never showed emotion either. Like when he'd ask him how he was, and his son was like, I'm fine and I'm fine is not good enough, you know, and he, I, that was a very powerful lesson for me. It's important to be vulnerable. Absolutely. Yeah. There's real power in that. Mega. Do you have rituals with your wife that you do? Like we do, for instance, a check-in every night. Um, do you do certain rituals that help you have a good relationship? We do. Uh, and there's lots of little things throughout the day as I think it's important, uh, a lot of times we were kidding about this. I laugh because uh, the check-ins throughout the day, you know, just, hey, how are things going? It's, I don't need to be calling you for anything other than just to check and see how you're doing. Because oftentimes with five kids and, you know, especially during the quarantine, it's very intense. And so just checking in with her to say, and she says, well, you know what? Uh, I, I need I need some time. I need just a, a couple minutes. Can you come home a little bit early? And can we take care? Absolutely. You know what I mean? Is just checking in throughout the day. But uh, 
yeah, is, is getting up our routine every morning is, uh, so she, so I get up, I work out for a little bit. She gets up, she works out, and then I come back, make breakfast. And that's kind of, uh, we have this just rhythm. And I think routines help children. Uh, structure helps the children and those developing those routines uh, have really helped us. And then our routines and our relationship as well is before we go to bed, always just kind of doing a, a once over on the day. And before you go to sleep, once over on the day and once over what's going on tomorrow. And let's talk about this. And then let's talk about the kids, right? Let's say, did anything happen today out of the ordinary was, yeah, you know, Porter was really struggling with this or, uh, or Nora or Maya was really, they, they had some trouble with this today and, and kind of talking through that. Okay, well, how do we address that tomorrow? And just communicating about that is because uh, I don't have all the answers. She has most of the answers, but between the two of us, we can figure it out quickly, you know, and, uh, and just communicating about the children, about what's going on in the family. Because again, we have found that life is so intense that you can get lost in the day to day. You can get lost in the, you know, what do we have to do, all the tasks we have to do, and then you're exhausted and you go to sleep and you never have that time to talk about what outside of the tasks, what is going on in our family? What is going on in, with the children? What is happening with them? And, uh, and, and in doing that, a lot of times it will come and say, well, you know what? I think you need to spend a little bit more time with, go have some special time or alone time with just this child, or maybe she does, or, you know, they're really struggling with this right now. Could you, why don't we spend a little time with them tomorrow, just alone, just take them by themselves and, and have a conversation with them. So that constant dialogue is, because life can just overtake you and pretty soon you're years down the road and you just, it, you're just reacting, you know, having that, that routine of, of decompressing at the end of the day and talking about things is really important. Mm, that's true. Because especially with five kids, I can totally relate. I mean, there's like so much tasks, the, uh, so much admin that at the end of the day, you're exhausted and you, and you just want to sleep. Yep. So it's important to make that time. Yeah. And especially with us, you know, the triplets don't sleep yet. So that's on top of compounds kind of things. Do you, uh, how was it for your wife to enter or how did you guys manage to uh, marry your two family cultures? Because I know that your family culture is obviously strong and very defined. And how was that for her to come into that culture? Did she bring a lot of her own culture and, and you kind of managed to marry that? Or, or how was that? Did you go conscious about it or did it just happen and just, just organically float or how was yeah, it? There's a lot of talk and a lot of conversation and a lot of work on that because she comes from a very strong family as well. She's the youngest of eight children, uh, four boys, four girls. Yeah. And she is the youngest. And so a very big family, right. And, uh, and a very strong family, lots of their traditions, lots of culture. And so I, I think un unfortunately, a lot of times, Initially, when we were first married, you just kind of sometimes both in this situation, it was me more coming in with the assumption that well, we'd just continue on with my family culture, right? Is yeah. that we, this is just how things were. And I quickly learned and she quickly communicated with me that that was, it helped me understand that's not how things work, right? We have to, we have to take the, what we want from our cultures and build our own family culture, right? So we're, with our children, we always talk about big family, little family. Right. So we have the big family, which is 
all of her family, all of my family, all the cousins and everything else, because we're very close with all of them. But then when you talk about little family, is that's just us. And we have to carve out our own traditions and our own, uh, our own, you know, environment, our own culture for our little family. And it has to be a thought out process. It can't just be assuming that we would continue to do my traditions as a family. Uh, mm-hmm. Because, and again, that you have to let your guard down because oftentimes we come into a relationship thinking, well, my way is the best way. How I was raised was the best way or the culture of my family is how things should be. Uh, and the reality is, is we're made better by blending those two together and thoughtfully going through and establishing those traditions. So whether it was Christmas or holidays or whatever it is, we would ahead of time have to think about and say, how do we want this to go? You know, well, here's what we did in my family that I think really helped. That's, you know, and then they, she would say, well, here's, here's how we did it in my family. And I think this is why it was important. And we would then kind of meld them together into one tradition, which was ours and ours alone. It was unique to our family and it's what we felt we need. And that's a constant process, right? You know, it's, it goes on for our, probably our whole marriage. But uh, initially in the first few years, it's very intense. And, and having those discussions and conversations about what we appreciated about the culture of our own individual families and what we want to carry forward in our little family, as we say, is, is a very important discussion to have. Because mm-hmm. oftentimes people go on the assumption that we're just going to do things because we do, we've always done these in my family. And yeah, uh, that's the, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, you go. No, no, yeah. go ahead. That's that's true. It's very inclusive, actually. Too. It's a very inclusive process to um, to do what you what you did, what you said, to speak about these things and to make it actionable. Did Did you have conflicting cultures? Two questions. Did you have conflicting cultures? Uh, we had to settle on one, and what was it? And did you have? Um, do you know offhand two or three? amazing traditions or cultures that she brought into your little family that you want to share that are powerful and valuable for other families? Hmm. Um, that's a great question. Uh, so yes, uh, I'm trying to think of some of the, the traditions um, that, that her family has brought lots of them both around uh, holidays and how they do things and how they're structured Uh, but we had very similar cultures, which was, uh, again, I, it would be very difficult, a lot, much more discussion if you're coming from very markedly different cultures, right? We had a lot of similarities uh, because of, I think, our, our fathers and our mothers play similar roles in our families. And I, I think that uh, in, in her family and in my family, there was a lot of similarities. So we, But it was more discussion of these traditions. Uh, both daily routines as well as how we want things to run in our family. And uh, yeah, I think one of the, the neatest things is her father was a uh, an educator. He was a teacher and then later a principal of schools and for his entire career. And he was there for them in the mornings uh, to make them breakfast. And uh, that became a good discussion for them because her mother would have them throughout the rest of the day But having that time in the mornings while he's making breakfast to talk with them and to have those interactions was really critical. And that's something that we've adopted in our family, in our daily routines, is, is having that, uh, that little time in the mornings where we're able to interact. I'm able to interact with the children. She's going to be with them a lot for the rest of the day. And having that, uh, that time to make breakfast and just talk a little bit 
as something that came from her family for sure. That's nice. That's a really nice one. I'm going to try and do that, <laughs> even though I'm not a morning person. <laughs> I I struggle with this. I know your dad gets up at like four thirty every day. Like, <laughs> absolutely. Okay, but he's he can't be the benchmark because he's too disciplined. <laughs> I agree with you on that one. That's uh, mornings are tough, but, but uh, it's once you get into a routine, it, it's it's makes it actually really fun. You know. So do you do it too? You get up so early. I don't get up as early as him. No, I'm, I'm usually, uh, uh, the military took that out of me. I, I, I woke up early many mornings to go for runs and do all that every morning. And, yeah. and once I got out of the military, I said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to relax a little bit and I'm going to uh, come to my own schedule. And so, but I still wake up usually uh, probably 6 a.m., 5.30 a.m. and uh, yeah. get up, get going, get moving. Yeah, in the military, I was able to do it too. You know, like I'd I'd wake up on my own if someone like flicked the light switch on the on the hallway or something. You you just wake up. I think you're in a differently alert state in that period. I mean, I was never in in a war situation, um, but still, like we were super active. You know, you're like young, you're healthy and fit and super strong, and you know you have a good sleep and yeah, it was yeah, okay. Sure. There's no problem. Yeah. Yeah, and not only that is you can sleep everywhere. That's what I that is oftentimes when there wasn't sleep, we could sleep anywhere. You know, in the military. Yeah. Like I could turn the switch off just as quickly as we had turned it on and just yeah. shut down and go to sleep. Yeah. I mean we were sleeping inside snow, like yeah. in igloos <laughs> for ten days or something. I don't know. I lost so much weight. Because <laughs> the body is always is you're always shivering and it's you're always just trying to stay warm and so I think the body's just going into hyperdrive and, and burns all this energy all the time. And then in the day, to stay warm, you just exercise the whole time. You know, go on skis up the mountain and, I don't know, doing some mission. It was actually quite fun, I must say. It was a nice adventure. I wouldn't I wouldn't want to do it again. And I didn't want to... I, I, I would want to do it again in the sense that the 10 months that I had to do, I had to do the service in, in, in Germany. But I think I would not want to go for 10 years or for five years and like to go into a military career for 12 years. That's like, for me, that's, yeah, that structure of command control and like in the end of the day, you can't, you don't have a say, you know, that it would be difficult, I think. It's, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a hard life and a lot of people do really well at it. And some people are kind of born and, and cut out for it. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I, I enjoyed it for the 10 years that I did it. I absolutely enjoyed every, you know, uh, I enjoyed the environment and everything else. But when it was time to, to move on to the next phase, that was, uh, I was excited to do that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there's a lot of growth, you know, I, I, I really enjoyed it. Like the camaraderie was amazing. Um, the stuff we learned, like rock climbing series rock climbing upsailing a mountain rescue in snow mountain rescue in summer it's like really really good training that was good and all the fitness aspect and all of that but the infrastructure of military or the, the structural aspect of military I've, i just find difficult for you know i don't know if i want to be stuck in that for 10 years yeah there's definitely a, a hierarchy and a, a, a yeah. significant structure yeah. yeah but you have to have that You can't. I mean, you can't send someone into a battlefield situation and everybody does what they what they want to do. <laughs> it doesn't work. Would not work. That would come apart very quickly. Uh, what was your highest rank in the end? So I, I got out achieved? as a captain. Okay. So I was I was a lieutenant and then a captain uh, in in the army. 
playing black hole. And how how was I mean I know that is not your um your personal experience firsthand, but can you share how was it for the dads to be deployed? Do you know? Do you did you have a friend or many maybe uh, who had many kids friends, and, many friends, many friends, many soldiers I worked with. Uh, like in war situations, how how is that for them? Very intense, and and how you filter yeah. that uh, with your children, and so they're understanding it, and they you're maintaining those relationships, but also they're not experiencing everything, and what you bring back with you, and how you transition back into the family when uh, your spouse has been running things for say twelve months or maybe longer, and then you're mm -hmm. reintroduced back into things. Uh, and they've come to understand life without you. You know what I mean? They've come to their daily functions and daily chores without you, and then you have to integrate back in. There's a, a lot of thought that goes into that, and I have high regard for the, the people that do that well, uh, that thoughtfully go about that, because it is, it is very difficult. You know, I, mean, I have good friends that have, you know, 20 years, they're in the military, and they've deployed five, six, seven, eight times for year-long uh, deployments. It's very hard on a family, uh, but I think that they've, as I've watched them go through that, I obviously never deployed with children, as I've watched them go through that, that how you transition back and how you communicate what's happening to your children, depending on their age, uh, is really critical and takes a lot now, of communication. How, how do you do that concretely? Communication, yeah? Yeah, what commu else? communication and teamwork with your spouse uh, is critical on that. Uh, is just how you're going to, what you're going to communicate the children, thoughtfully going through that process. Again, not just reacting, not just ha having things happen, but how do we want to help the children understand this? How do we want them to experience this? Uh, what do we want them to take away from this? How do we build this team without you part of it, you know, for a year? Because we have to function. We have to go through this. We have to go through all the daily activities and everything else. How do we do that without you in the environment? And then how do we bring you back into the environment and reintroduce you? It, it's a very, uh, like I said, I have the utmost respect for the families that do it. I really do. It's a difficult process. And I'm, I have real admiration for those that go about it thoughtfully and, uh, and really do that. And, and I think it, I've seen that it builds strong families, uh, that children will step up into roles Uh, young men and young women will step into roles in, of leadership within the house because the dynamic changes when you leave. And uh, and I, I think there's a lot of benefit that can come from that uh, as long as you're communicating through that and working through that. And being open and vulnerable like we talked about earlier is just uh, helping them realize that they're part of this process and not just receiving this experience. You know, mm -hmm. that they're part of the family and that we you're needed at this time. We need you to step up. We need you to, you know, do this or do that and fill this role. And, and so they're part of the process and not just receiving it, not just, you know, reacting to it. Mm, and planning. planning. Planning, yeah. Do you, do, do you know of resources or books that help um, soldiers to re – it's obviously can't for mothers as well. It's just the same who, who went on deployment of soldiers that uh, – Want to or have to transition back into family? Do you know any? Happen to know any? Hmm. Uh, off the top of my head, is we have uh, there's there's a lot of counseling resources. The, the U.S. military has developed a lot of those because they saw how difficult it mm. was initially after really uh, 2001 when we started deploying on a regular basis. Uh, initially, it was very difficult, 
But now there's much better transition programs of, you know, helping the soldiers kind of decompress as they come home and talking through some of the issues that, you know, you can't just step back into your home and assume that everything's going to revolve around you. And so there's a lot of discussion and counselors that are provided, uh, a lot of family services and counseling that's provided as well. So off the top of my head, I don't know of any, trying to think of any books uh, or resources, but I know that uh, for those soldiers that are deploying, it's important that they look for those resources because uh, the better you transition, it can make your family stronger. You know, it, yep. if you can go, pro- go about the process thoughtfully. Yeah, and especially because you, I mean, you're leaving. I had one soldier on the on the podcast, um, Marcus Haney. He was shot in Afghanistan mm-hmm. uh, in a battle situation, and he developed. I don't actually know if if he developed PTSD, but it kind of like sounded like it, or the intensity levels when he came back were a bit higher. As that's kind of how he alluded to it, and. So they they got a divorce and he had a child while he was deployed and the situation was difficult because he he left as a marine highly like fit gunslinging kind of you know with grenades on your chest goes into battlefield and then you come back and and he was he was uh, shot so you know he couldn't do anything really and and to then transition from 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 that intense uh, um situation in afghanistan where people are shooting at you and like your buddies are being shot at and you're in this thing to to like a family setting where you have to kind of function within the within a soft structure and it's collaborative and it's not command and control kind of situation that must be difficult enough you know and and so yeah i think it would be interesting to find resources but it's good that you know People should look out for them, and if they are in the military anyways available, then that's important to look out for them too. Yeah, yeah definitely. Again, whether it's with counselors or whether it's uh, with your spouse or with the family, I always think that communication and vulnerability are, are two of the most important things you can have uh, because mm-hmm. they are children and spouses are, are all part of this process. We're all going through something very, maybe similar. Uh, or maybe dissimilar, but we're go we're all going through something as part of this process when you're deploying and when you're coming back, and so being able to kind of communicate through that and and express that hey this is where I'm struggling right now and I need your help here I need you to understand this the, the communication is the key piece in all of this. But that counts for any anything. Absolutely. Not just yeah yeah. Not just families. Hey, not is, just it's the key of everything. Yeah. Is there is there anything where I didn't go yet that you want to share? about family or about being a dad? Um, you've got to find ways and then making those memories like we talked about earlier. I think that the most important thing for me is finding those memories, but also enjoying this process and then really just kind of soaking it in what, a, what an amazing experience this is to help someone, a little person develop their personality, their their views, their and develop a team of a family is is really an amazing blessing, an amazing process. And so finding time to not only create those memories, but step back and appreciate how wonderful this is, is, is oftentimes uh, really the most important piece. Because again, in our life these days, we are overwhelmed by the tasks we have to do. There's no way to accomplish all that we need to in a day. 
and we can run from one event to the other, and pretty soon days and weeks and months have gone by without ever appreciating what we have and without ever really understanding how wonderful things are uh, because we're, we're just reacting. So stepping away from that process and looking for those intentional memories, but also stepping back and just taking a, a perspective of how wonderful this is and, and then helping your, your children do that. You know, again, we can overschedule and overtask and have so much to do that we don't have time to breathe. And so you've got to step back and just take a moment and, and find a way every day or every week, uh, find those moments to step back and take perspective, take account of all that you have and really be thankful for it uh, and appreciate it. Bingo. Those are good closing words. <laughs> Thank you so, so much, Brad, for sitting with me. This was really, really powerful and a lot of fun for me. Thank you. Me as well. Thank you. Super. Thank you so much for listening in. I really hope you liked this session. If you did, please share this podcast. I'm sure you know someone who wants to hear this. Make no mistake, your shares are meaningful and they drive our success. So thank you for sharing. Thanks for listening in. Hope to catch you next time. Have an awesome day. Ciao.